morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to be together this morning. Glad you could be here with us uh, again. And my name is Tim. In case you're wondering who I am, I'm the guy that's filling in again. And it's good to have you. With, one of these days I want to say that, and it's going to be true. Uh, but it's good to be with you this morning. Look outside. It's kind of dreary and rainy and icky uh, to come out and be with us this morning. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, we've been decorating the building, obviously. We've got the stars in the sky. We've got the poinsettias out. It's Christmas time. And so we're uh, excited about uh, Christmas. Uh, but uh, it's good to have you again this morning. And Merry Christmas to you all. It's finally December, and it's Christmas is now officially uh, in full swing. It's funny, uh, uh, we were one of the first people in our neighborhood to have our Christmas lights on. We turned them on uh, on Black Friday. We decided, let's see if they work. You know, that's a good thing to find out. And um, and uh, watched all my neighbors look at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm just... Wanting to make sure all the lights worked. Well, then we just left them on. And it's so nice. to We went to Christmas see Christmas lights over at the St. Louis Zoo uh, last night. Wonderful experience. A lot of fun. And uh, if you've never got a chance to do that, I'd encourage you to try it. It's beautiful. Uh, but Christmas is here. And um, a lot of people are going through all kinds of different things when it comes to Christmas. I, I see, you know, nativity scenes being set up in the yard. I saw one... I think it was over here somewhere, three nativity scenes in the yard. Now, that's confusing, all right? I mean, how many babies were born? Three of them are right on this guy's yard, you know. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you've got people shopping. You've got people preoccupied with getting gifts and giving gifts this year. Have you, have you been making your hints what you want for Christmas? I mean, we all have the creative ways of doing that. Uh, that's all happening. Christmas is on a lot of people's minds right now. And it should be. People are thinking about Jesus more than any other time of the year. And so that's why we're doing this series, looking at pursuing the King. Uh, Because the greatest thing you can ever find in your life is the Lord Jesus. Okay? Look at this this passage here up on the screen. If you'd like to follow in the notes, that'd be great. Uh, Or you can just read them with me up here on the screen. Look what the Bible says in Psalms 119. Happy are the people who keep His decrees, who pursue Him wholeheartedly. It's the greatest thing you could find is a relationship with God. Look at this, what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. He says, when you find me, you find life. You find life. And he's talking about the wisdom of God. Wisdom is speaking, but it's God speaking. You find me, you find life. And so here we are in Christmas, and a lot of people in the Christmas story are looking for this new king. They're looking for the Lord. There's Mary and Joseph who are told they're going to have a child. He's going to be called the son of the Most High God. He'll be a ruler. He'll be a shepherd of the people. He's going to be a fulfillment of prophecy. As a parent, what would you do if you heard somebody come up to you, angels, and say, your kid's going to be great? Wouldn't you be excited? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And you've got wise men looking for Jesus. We don't know how many. But they are looking for Jesus. There are shepherds in the field, young young men, very young men, considered boys, that are taking care of sheep. Who are, uh, God announces the very first people to hear about uh, when he's born the coming of this king. And then, of course, when you read the rest of Matthew 1 and 2 and the rest of Luke 1 and 2, you find out that there's a person by the name of Simeon that's been waiting for the hope of Israel, the comfort that comes from this king, and, and a woman by the name of Anna, who's a prophet, a prophet as well, a prophetess, who says, I've finally seen the salvation of God. And, and folks, I want you to know, you know if, you, if you didn't get to listen to last week's lesson, it'd be a great, great opportunity if you did, did uh, get online and listen to it to kind of get you up to speed. We, we have a king, this king that came on Christmas. Jesus Christ is the best King of all. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's the best. He's fair. He loves you. He thinks of you first uh, and what He can do for you and help to help you. But He also rules and controls everything that's out of your control. And if ever Christmas reminds us of, sometimes we're reminded of the things that we have no control over. We have people die. We experience pain. We experience loss. People, people experiencing Christmas without a spouse, whether it's death or divorce, 
or their children move far away. I know a guy right now, his kids are in New York, and he's thinking, am I, ever going, to, am I going to see them on Christmas? And so there's a lot of, lot of, lot of good and, and also hardship going on during Christmas. But there's one guy I want to talk about today. Out of all the people that were looking for a king, he seemed to have missed him. He didn't find him. And that's King Herod. He was in fact called Herod the Great. And before I get started in look, looking at this passage, we're going to read it up on the screen. I want to say something, by the way. And Janet, it is so good to see you here at church. I know you're not feeling great, but it's good to have you here. Love you, girl. All right. I mean that. That's good. I don't know if you know this. Don, Don Yoder is recuperating from nose surgery. I sent him a dancing nose on my phone. And he's at home right now. He said, my nose has been out of joint. I said, I could have told you that. You didn't need a doctor to tell you that. For, for years, exactly. For years, Don. And so, but he's recuperating right now. And if you'd like to go by and see him, uh, uh, that would be wonderful. Um, and he would love that. He really would. Tina is taking care of him right now. But, it's, but I think that's, that's kind of cool. I just wanted to mention that. All right, so let's look at Herod the Great now. Let's look at how a king can slip through our fingers. This, this, we find the account of Herod in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, this is what Matthew says about Herod and what's going on with him. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, and they're quoting Micah here, what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you will come a ruler. We found out last week he's talking about a king here. A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He's going to be a good shepherd. He's not going to be a butcher and force you. He's going to be a shepherd and lead you and gently lead you. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child. Some people believe that, and it's, I, I, there's a lot of evidence. It says that they weren't at the manger. They came to their home. So it may have been a year or two it took them to find Jesus, but they stuck with it and they found him. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. What a beautiful phrase. They opened their treasures. We should open our treasures to this king too, you know. It says, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, James Taylor has a song called Home by Another Way. And I love the phrase, maybe me and you can be wise guys too and go home by another way. Jesus provides that other way, see. Now you read that and you go, okay, we see what's going on here. we got kind of a good idea here. The wise men find Jesus. They worship him. They open up their treasures. But notice, Herod doesn't find him. Herod wants to find him, but he doesn't get to see Jesus. Let's read on. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That's when the wise men left. It says, Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Herod's going to look for him, but he's got another reason. So he got up, took the child and his mother. During the night, they slip out of town. They leave for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. See, Herod never got to see Jesus. He looked for him, but he slipped through his fingers. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Why? Because it's been about two years since the time Jesus had been born. 
How many children? I've, I've read people say thousands of children have died, hundreds of children have died. Less than 20 are killed. Bethlehem is a very small town. And with the mortality rate as high as it is, there's very few male children in Bethlehem and in the vicinity. It says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah... By the way, one child dying is enough, right? I want to, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to be accurate. It says, A voice in heaven... or I'm sorry, a voice is heard from Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's interesting. Rachel was, was buried in Bethlehem. And this place known for death is now known for life because of Christ's coming through this little town. And what I notice as I read this account, something sticks out in my mind, that though anyone can find the Lord, not everyone does. And Herod kind of stands out as a warning for us. If you're expecting a real nice, beautiful, positive lesson today, I've got news for you. Sometimes the Bible warns us and we need to really pay attention when it warns us of something because it can bring a positive change in your life. How did this happen? How can a man who is looking for a king let him slip through his fingers? Well, see, Herod is kind of a, kind of a heads up for us. He shows you and I how Jesus can slip through ours too. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this want to look at uh, this story and look at this tragic story of how a man who was looking for Jesus he didn't find Christmas. Remember the uh, one of my favorite cartoons is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, it's this wonderful story. But you know you find out is the Grinch misses Christmas for a lot of the same reasons as Herod. And here we see this, and again, we see this. So what, how does the king slip through my fingers? Well, first of all, I will not find the king of kings on Christmas when I allow my ego to get in the way. When my ego gets in the way, this is a heart issue, see? And you may think, well, I don't have, a, I don't have any ego toward God. If you have ego at all, pride at all, it can... Christ can slip through your fingers if you're not careful. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 28. A person who hardens his heart to God falls into misfortune. I think another translation says, when you're stubborn, you get into trouble. Now, have you ever gotten in trouble for when you were stubborn? Lots of times. I remember Ted Williams one time said, every time I look at you know, my World Series or my, uh, look at my uh, Hall of Fame accolades in the Hall of Fame, he was one of the greatest hitters, you know. He says, when I, every time I look at all the stuff and the awards I have, I thank God for all those stubborn pitchers. They thought they could throw one by me. They said he had a gift. They think that, that he actually could see the ball in slow motion for some reason coming at him. That's why he could hit so well. Had the highest batting average of all time, lifetime batting average. And so, and so our stubbornness can get us in all kinds of trouble. I can think of moments where I am stubborn and I get myself into misfortune. Herod is the same way. Just imagine this for a minute. Here is a king who's sitting on a throne and some, and some wise men come walking in. We don't know how many. They're from the Far East. And they come and they say these words. They say, we're here to see the king. And you can see Herod going, okay, what can I do for you? Well, no, not you. We're looking for a, a, one that was born a king. See, Herod was appointed by a Roman emperor. He wasn't even a real Jew. He was an Edomite, kind of a Jew. And they hated him. The Jews hated him. He was awful. Mean, self-centered, and full of pride. So imagine, he, I'm here to, what is, can I do? Oh, we're not, here to, we're not here to see you. We're looking for this king. We've come to worship him. Imagine Herod. He's about 70 years old. He's been ruling for over 30 years. He's used to this opulent lifestyle. And here comes these guys from somewhere, and they're not looking for him. He's not the center of attention. There's this other king. <laughs> no wonder he's disturbed. Look what it says here. When the king heard this, he was disturbed. I wonder why. Because this king was threatening something. This new king, born a Jew, 
a king of the Jews, well, that's royalty. He ain't going to be able to knock that off so easily, see. So what's good news to the wise men is bad news for Herod. This word disturbed is an interesting word. Uh, the New Testament was written in everyday Greek language called Koine Greek. And so the words had a very specific meaning, all the words in the New Testament. That's why translations translate differently, not, not totally differently to get a different taste or a different uh, story, mind you, but a different side of or, or shades it a little bit because this, these words are very, very interesting when you study them. This Greek word behind this word disturbed is the word terasso. It means to agitate or trouble something by shaking it up, by tossing it to and fro, by upsetting the apple cart. You're rocking my boat, man. What are you talking about? You're, you're, you're messing with me. And see, that's, what it, that's what's happening here. Herod's life is being shook up a little bit. And Jesus will shake up things in your life. That's what his intent is. It's, it's causing him, in the Bible, the, again, the Greek word behind this is the idea of inward commotion, restlessness. Jesus ever made you restless? God ever made you restless? You can't sleep, you worry. What would happen if I really trusted him? You want me to do what? Oh, I can't do that. And we come up with some reason. Why? Because that's just, that's, that's upsetting, that's pull, try, get, uh, Pulling me out of my comfort zone, it's making me uh, kind of, ang- i got a little anxiety going on. That's what this word is about. It strikes somebody with some fear. What are you afraid of, Herod? I'll tell you what fra- Herod's afraid of. He's afraid of losing something. He's afraid of losing control. You see, we all like to think like a king. We all tend to think like a king. We all think we've got control. I got it. I got it. And then you hear somebody say, you don't got it. I figured this out. I don't need anybody's help. I, are you the kind of person that just doesn't want to ask anybody's help? You're robbing yourself. I'm one of those people, by the way. I don't like, I, I'll do it myself. And the problem with that is, if you're like me, and you, you have a hard time letting people help you, you're robbing yourself of receiving a gift. It's good, it's humbling to let somebody help you. To say, let me do it, Tim. Admit you can't do everything. There's something good about that in the long run. The sooner I understand that my crown's more like uh, Burger King's crown. You ever wore one of those? We, I remember we would take the boys and we'd all wear a crown. Da, 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 you know, we're wearing the crown. I'm king of the hamburgers. What is that? But it's about as, that's about as powerful as my crown is. It's like a paper Burger King crown. I don't have, when you stop and think about it, I don't have as much control. You don't have as much control as you think so. I used to think, man, I got all the levers. And I look down, they're not connected to anything. Boy, I feel like I've got it going. And then something happens and reminds me, you don't have it all going your way, Tim. You haven't got it all figured out. And see, pride tries to convince us and tell us, you've got it. You don't need any help. For years, see, Herod had been maneuvering and fighting his way to the top. Historically, you find that when there was turmoil between Mark Antony, you ever watched the movie Cleopatra, you know what I'm talking about. Mark Antony, uh, Richard Burton, is rebelling against Caesar and their Octavian, or Caesar Augustus, and they're fighting one another. And Herod, in order to get inroads, decides he's going to back the guy that seems to be the one, that, the upstart that's going to win, Mark Antony. So he goes with him until he starts losing. And then he does a pivot and <laughs> switches over, over to Augustus. And he did it just at the right time. And Augustus decides, I'll tell you what, I like you so much, I'm going to let you be the king in Jerusalem. See, he knew the political inroads to get his way. And he has lived he has lived a certain way for over 30 years, and he is attached to it. And he's not about to let go of it for anyone. You ever feel that way sometimes? You're in a conversation, 
and you feel like you got it going, you got, you know, you're, you're part of the conversation, then all of a sudden the attention turns to you and you feel vulnerable and you don't like it and you're trying to change the topic. Why? What causes that? Pride. Ego. That's what causes that stuff like that to happen. You know, Herod is, holds on to his crown so tight that no one lives very long around him if he suspects them of treason. He was married 12 times, killed several of his wives, executed them. He had sons, some good, he had some great kids. Guess what? He drowns a couple of them. Horse playing in the palace pool. Just messing around. Oh, he drowned. Oh, tragic. Because he thought they were going to take control of his kingdom. And he wasn't going to have it. It's amazing what a pet, a dog, or an animal will do when it's cornered. What will it do? It will fight. Why? It's afraid. And so here's Herod. He's, he's, he's so protective, so territorial. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, said this about Herod. He said, you're better off being Herod's dog than his son. Why is that? He said, because the dog lives longer. This guy, you say, oh, that's awful. Well, you know, guys, listen, church, your ego can work the same way in your life. It works the same way in mine. It it's that false sense of that paper crown that I've got it figured out. And the sooner we can set that down and let the King of Kings rule, the better off we are. Look at the, what the Bible says here. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the babies, or all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He had killed sons before, and it worked, so he was going to do the same thing. The question is, when he got the chance to kill Jesus, he couldn't find him. He had slipped out of town. So here's a guy who, who, whose ego, he finds himself resisting and fighting the will of God. Is there a lesson here for us? How our ego sometimes we will fight. Oh, we're not, some of us here, we're not loud. We don't get a sword or, or we don't go after somebody. I'm going to kill you. No, it's more passive aggressive. I just won't say anything. I just won't show up. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Now, mind you, I, I do believe Jesus wants us, He wants to give us independence, not make us independent. You understand? He wants to give us independence of the things that, that really get us into trouble, but He doesn't want us to be independent of Him. We need Him. We need a good King. But Herod, see, he's got, he's got such pride that he doesn't want anybody to know that he's worried. So what's he do? He calls in his scholars and says, hey, where's this supposed to take place? In Bethlehem. Okay, thanks, bye. Then he gets with the wise men secretly. When did this appear? Oh, <clears throat> you need to go to Bethlehem. Like he knew all along. And that's what, that's what pride and ego does. We cover up our ignorance. We cover up our insecurity. And it gets us nowhere. It gets us, we fall into misfortune. And see, Herod missed the king of kings because he was too preoccupied with himself. He actually thinks he can stop the king of kings. And by the way, could he have killed Jesus? I think he could have. Absolutely. But God gets him out of town. He thwarted the plan. Look at this passage here in John 5. This is a disturbing passage because religious people can have egos too. You know, Christians can have egos. Preachers can have egos. They do have egos. I'll say they can, they do. Look at this. You have, 
And this is the way the message says, I love the way the message says this. He goes, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am, standing right before you. But we got a problem. What's the problem? You aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. They're stubborn. But they're in their Bibles. Oh, they've come up with some cool stuff. They've found the Bible that no one else has found. they got these nuances and these new ideas. But they miss Jesus. You know, you can know your Bible and miss who it's talking about. You can know about Jesus and not know Him. This is what's happened to Herod. I know where he's born. I read the Scriptures. But he doesn't know Jesus. Years ago, I remember hearing um, Terry Rush one time at Tulsa Sewing Workshop talk about he's a St. Louis fan, Cardinal fan, and he'd always go down to the farm club and play with the Cardinals. In fact, there was a day where he was considered possibly as a person that could have played on the team. And he gives it up for ministry. And he talked about, he goes, you know, uh, I've never met Stan Musial. But I know Stan Musial, and he, he, goes, he hit this batting average. The, his bat, the size of the handle in his bat was 15 sixteenths of an inch. But I don't know Stan Musial. You can know a lot about Jesus, and a lot, you can spout a lot of Scripture, folks, and miss the King of Kings. You can miss the forest for the trees. And that's what happens to Herod, and, and that's what happens to you and I when ego gets in the way. Number two, I will, the King of Kings will slip through my fingers when my intentions are not pure. Look at this wonderful promise in the Scriptures. Let it encourage you. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. He says, man, when your motives and your intentions are what they need to be, you will find the Lord. You will see Him. See, Herod seems to be wanting to find Jesus. He seems to be interested. Look at this passage again in Matthew 2. He says, he says to them, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I, that I too may go and worship him. Sounds like he wants to find Christ. Sounds like he wants to, wants to know Christ. He says, go search for him. And, and let me know where he is so I can worship. I can just imagine the wise men leaving going, wow, this king wants to worship him too. This is exciting. What an exciting time. But Herod wants to find Christ for a totally different reason. Again, the book of Matthew, verses 13 through 15. And when they had gone, an angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he says. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. See, wise men, are in, they, their intent is to worship. Worship the king. People with egos and people with their intentions are not pure. They want to do something else with the king. Herod, he, he doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. And he never gets a chance because Jesus is gone. Now, Herod, to me, brings up a question for me, and I want to share that with you, and that is, what do I intend to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? I mean, what... You, see, you say, why is that so important to him? Well, what you plan to do with the King of Kings matters. So what is your intention when it comes to approaching the King of Kings? Yeah, I know none of us here are going to say, I plan on killing him. None of us are here... Right? None of us are going to do that. But you know what? There's some things that we can do that's just as bad as killing him. See, if your intention is to treat Jesus anything less than the king he is, you might as well go ahead and kill him. Well, you know, Jesus, I want you to be my get-out-of-jail card. When I'm in trouble, I want to be able to call on you and you get me out of trouble. But don't tell me how to be a husband or a father or don't tell me how to, how to be ethical at work. No, just when I get in trouble, I'll call you like a tow truck 
I'll get you on speed dial and you come and pick me up and get me out of this mess. Or Jesus would, you know, I want you, I, I want you and I want you, I want, to, I want you to be with me, but would you just comfort me? Don't make me go beyond that. Don't, don't get me well enough to where I can, I can grow past that and grow from that and, and actually do something. No, I just want to stay here in my little world and just, that's all I'm really after. I, guys, I'm a bad patient. What do you mean, Tim? I, I'm, I'm not a very, I've got a doctor. If I was to ask him, if you were to ask him, is, are you Tim Gill's patient or doctor, he would say no. You know why? I've seen him once. When I was 57, two years ago, don't be, two and a half years ago, I, my dad died when he was 57. You know, you start thinking, well, I wonder if, what's, how I'm doing. So I go to see the doctor. And I, and I pick him out of a bunch of mug shots. You see, mug shots. Well, you know, they, I said, I'm looking for a doctor. I walk up to her and say, I'm looking for a doctor. And she goes, okay. Uh, uh, what's the doctor you want to see? And I go, well, I don't have a doctor. Who are the doctors? Well, uh, hold on. And she gets this 8 by or eight by 11, and it's a bunch of pictures of the doctors there at St. Anthony. And I go, there. Okay. How about this one? That one looks pretty smart. And she goes, I'm sorry, he's not taking any more patients. I saw a couple of women. I'm not ready for that yet. Here's another fella. What about that guy? He looks pretty smart. He's wearing glasses. Smart people wear glasses, right? And she just goes, he's not taking any patients either. And I go, oh. And I said, well, what about that guy? Oh, he's taking patients. And I said, why? <laughs> why? She goes, shh, don't say that. I go, well, why? Shh. I don't want people to hear that. Well, he has openings. Does that mean that there's, you know, been some vacancies? <laughs> and she goes, just, is that the one you want to see? And I go see him. What are you here for? Well, my father died at 57, and I thought I'd check it out. Oh, you, you got aspirations of dying at 50? No, no, I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, he was in poor health at 57. Maybe it's going to, you know, heart attack. Well, you know, we got, I got, I got history. You know, what kind of history? Well, we got this and this. He goes, okay, well, I'll take your blood. Come back next week. I come back next week. Okay, you're good here. You're good here. You're good. Eh, it's a little high. What, what is that? Well, that's your cholesterol. What do you what do you eat? I said anything I can find, doc. Anything? Well, you probably need to work on that. Eat a little more styrofoam, you know, whatever those are, those cakes, you know, whatever. Actually, they're just as good as styrofoam, you know. Eat some of that stuff. Okay, so I'm eating fruits and vegetables and stuff. Come back, take it up, and and he goes, "You're doing good." Okay, thanks. Never saw him again. You need to come back in a year. I'm listening to a lady sitting there going, hearing this, goes, "Yeah, that's what they all say." Come back in a year, then it's every six months, then it's every month, then it's every week until you're here every day like me. <laughs> so if you ask my doctor, well, allegedly, allegedly my doctor, he would say, no, Tim doesn't, I'm not his doctor. He, and sometimes, I, you guys, honestly, we can be so... What would Jesus say? The great physician. Would he say you're his patient? I see him every once in a while when I'm in a jam. But not when, not all the time. You see, kings reign all the time. And they deserve to be worshipped all the time. Look at this passage in Revelation 4. Look at the intention. What do you notice about these 24 elders with the imagery here? Then the 24 elders bow down before the one who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. Look at this. They put their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you made all things. Everything existed and was made because you wanted it. They come before the throne, and what's their intent? It's obvious. Is it obvious to everyone what your intent is with Jesus, what you're planning to do with Jesus? Is it obvious to Him? They set their, their little crowns down. They bow. They worship. Surrender. 
You're the one that created everything. Oh, we might have a little control of this and that, but you have all control. And so their intentions are like the wise men. Bow, worship, here are our treasures, here's my life. What do you you rule it? What do you want done with it, Lord? I seek to please you. Herod, no. He's the opposite. This is my crown. This is my place. This is my life. And if I'm ever in trouble, I might call upon you. He'll slip through your fingers. The king will slip through your fingers unless you let go of your crown. Unless your intention is surrender. Number three, the king will slip through my fingers when I misplace my ambitions. When I misplace my... See, we're all ambitious. All of us can be ambitious. We're we're ambitious about all kinds of things. I watched Pixels for the first time this past week. Oh, it was an awesome message. I love the message of Pixels. Aliens have received um, an old video gaming disc or something, a a message from a a probe we sent on space about our video games, and they have mistaken these video games as a declaration of war against all of mankind. So they've come to Earth to fight us using those video games. And so you see Pac-Man and Centipede and Galaxia and and all this stuff happening. The, the, The funny part is, is this one young guy who back in the 80s and 90s was like a champion and his buddy was a champions at this and everybody thought he was wasting his time. He goes, man, he goes, looks at, looks at all these special forces people. You know, now you, now you can't say I was wasting all my time playing those video games because I'm going to save the world. See, we all got ambitions. Even video ambitions. You know, pe- even people that seem to be wasting their time. We all have something that we're caught up in, we're ambitious about, we give our life to. The question is, what are you going to give your life to? He is called Herod the Great because he was an amazing man, an ambitious man, and driven. No one since the time of Solomon had there been a king like King Herod. This guy was off the chain when it came to dreaming and building things. He's busy, and this is very important to remember, just like you and I, he is busy with doing what he likes to do, not what he needs to do. It's important to remember. Sometimes my ambitions drive me to, are driven by what I like to do, not what needs to be done. And that's what Herod's doing. He builds four palaces in four different cities, and they are amazing architectural structures. He remodels the temple. He does a, such a good job with the temple in Jerusalem. And by the way, it gets destroyed in 70 A.D., but it's, it stands out like a diamond in the sky or in the skyline that if you caught a glimpse of it at the right time of day, the sun reflecting off its gold would blind you. He builds new cities, one of them Caesarea, and names it after Caesar. He builds ports and amphitheaters. And yes, I believe Herod was a NASCAR lover. He loved building racetracks. I think they call them hippodomes or whatever. But these, these elaborate chariot racing tracks, he built lots of those. He redesigned and constructed water systems that were second to none in the Roman Empire. He built this. Let's see if we got that. Look at this. I don't know if you can see what it is. It's a mountain. It's a mountain called the Herodium. It stands, this, was, this is the one near Bethlehem. It's three miles away from Bethlehem. You can see it from Bethlehem. He's that close to Jesus. Just three miles away. And here he is on this man-made mountain. And that flat spot with all that interior there That's where the base of the palace was built on that. So it stood even higher. It's believed 
By the way, it's believed that, that it could house a thousand soldiers and feed them and take care of them for a year. This one was destroyed in 71 A.D., a year after Jerusalem. They finally came to the Herodium. He has four of these. It's this place, they believe, where he met the wise men. The wise men are meeting him in this elaborate palace. All the state-of-the-art and latest art and architecture are in here. Imagine these guys are walking in to that. Like you and I walking into the White House or to some mansion and going, wow, our breath is taken away. That's how driven this guy is. And yet when he finds out that the King of Kings has been born from this place, he he lets someone else do the searching for him. You guys go to Bethlehem and find him and then let me know. Why isn't he driven to go look himself? Well, he's 70 years old. Maybe he's worn out from all the things he's done. He's been so ambitious and everything else. When he needs his ambition the most, it's gone because he's invested it in everything else that he likes to do. Is there a parallel here? We give ourselves to so many things. In the ne- and by the way, they're good things. And we, we do it for the good of our family, the good of our life. But where is Jesus? What happened to Jesus? I found a good job, we'll say. I found a good wife. I found a good husband. I've, God has blessed me with good kids. Where is God in all this? Did I find Jesus? Or did, did He slip through my fingers? Here's a guy that's got everything, but not really. He's got it all. But something has slipped through His fingers. I was reading this week about, Greg Chappell one time mentioned to me about, about a coach for the Dallas Cowboys named Jimmy Johnson. And uh, Jimmy Johnson um, won a Super Bowl. He was a head coach at Miami Hurricanes won a national title there. Dallas hires him. It's hard for me to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. If you, though you Packer fans know what I'm talking about. You know, Don's, yes, it's very difficult. I'm fighting a gag reflex. They're doing well this year. Well, that's nice. Yeah, well, well there we go. But anyway, the, the thing I, 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 he said to me one time, you know, he, he basically gave up his family to win a Super Bowl. And I go, Really? I decided I was going to do a little research on it, do a little reading on that. He's wrote a book on this. Talks about an incident where he told his first wife, "I'm not going to be seeing you. I'm not going to be able to see you anymore. And you better get, you just better accept it." And he basically gives up his family to give himself to the Dallas Cowboys and the ambition of winning the Super Bowl. And he does. Years later, his mother passes away. And at the, at the graveside, he is broken. It drives him to his knees. He finds his two sons and he hugs them and kisses them. Later, one of his sons would say, that was the first time my father ever kissed me. By the way, his son was 35 years old. Was it worth it, Jimmy? He writes a book and says no. NFL coaches, coaching period, a lot of NFL coaches, there's three in particular I think of, Tony Dungy, who lost a son to suicide, that woke him up. Bill Belichick, who's presently doing the, the, the Patriots, had his, one of his sons was arrested for marijuana possession during his winningest times. Andy Reid, who coached several teams, including the Philadelphia Eagles, two, his two sons were arrested on the same day in two separate places for two separate things. And it was a wake-up call for him. Ambition. Just a few years ago, there was a golfer by the, by the name of uh, Hunter Mayen, and he withdrew from the Canadian Open with a two-stroke lead going into the final round because his wife was about to give birth to their first child. He walks off the course. This is what this writer said 
He said, imagine the moment, for a moment, just how special Zoe Olivia Mayen will feel when she finds out that her dad walked off a golf course and away from a million dollars so he could be present at the birth of his billion-dollar baby. I mean, think about that. Here she is. I could just imagine walking down the aisle with her dad getting married, and she knows how her dad feels about her because he made hard choices. Guys, we're gonna, if we're going to love our families, we're going to have to learn to make some hard choices. If we're going to love the Lord, we've got to make some hard choices. We've got to learn to walk away from things. We've got to learn to say, no, I won't do that. And it's going to cost too much. I couldn't help but think, it's not just Zoe that I'm wondering about. I'm wondering how Jesus feels about me. How does He feel about me? Does He see that He matters the most to me? Because He's a King. Matthew 16 says this, What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? I've lost myself a couple times. I have to admit, in my business... And by the way, in the name of good things, in the name of good things, my kids can run and throw and and they can do amazing stuff, I think, sports-wise. But I'll tell you what, I was glad early on, my wife and I said, it's not how far they can throw a ball, but how they love the Lord matters more to us than anything else. And I'm just saying to you this morning, as, as parents, as people, as people, where's your ambition? Where's your greatest energy, your greatest drive? The thing you're after more than anything else, where does it lie? That's what Herod cautions us about because mis- a misplaced ambition, the Lord will slip through your fingers. Look what it says here in First John. Never give your heart to this world or to any of the things in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. I'll just juggle them. It can't be done. For the whole world system, based as it is on men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid, is listen, it, doesn't, it says it's not derived from the Father at all. It doesn't come from God, but from the world itself. And he said, this is the warning, he says. Look, the world and all its pa- passionate desires will one day disappear. He says, listen, you really don't need to be going after these things so much because they're all going to be gone. They're all going to disappear. But look at the promise. But the man who is following God's will is part of a permanent of the permanent and cannot die. What I'm telling you this morning is today, all of Herod's accomplishments lie in dust and ruins. In 2007, archaeologists finally found the tomb of Herod. By the way, did you know that as he was nearing the end of his life, he knew no one would shed a tear for him because they all hated him? So he concocted a plan to have several people killed when he died so there'd at least be some tears shed. Guy's crazy, isn't he? So they find his tomb. Guess what they find? They find his tomb has been ransacked and the sarcophagus that held his body, even his body is missing. What a what a what a irony. Jesus is missing and Herod is missing from Herod. He's gone. His body's even gone. It's all lies in ruins. And see, that's that's I want us to see this so important this morning that we think, well, I found Jesus and I've got him, and you know, but you know, guys, we can lose him. He can slip through our fingers if we get caught up in this world too much. And I want to encourage you this morning to make Christmas a time to focus on your relationship with God. To let go of that ego, that pride, it comes up. And you'll see it raise its head when you're talking with somebody or when you're, when you're worried about something. Why not just trust the Lord? Let your greatest ambition be finding and having a relationship with the King of Kings. Look what it says here in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 Jesus said this, But above all, pursue His kingdom and righteousness. What's that mean? Make it your greatest ambition 
to make Jesus, to let Jesus reign in your life and to do what pleases Him. And He'll take care of the rest. That should be my greatest ambition. Look what it says here as I close of this last verse. It just says this. It says, look, it says, look for the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. And I want to encourage you during Christmas season to look to the Lord. Pursue the King. Find out what He wants. What's He need from you this Christmas? Christmas time is a great time to reflect and think about what do I need to change? Do I need to worship Him? I was telling the first, uh, first service, you guys that wear, when you wear a hat ever take it off and it still feels like it's on? You know what I'm talking about? I, when I grew up on a farm, last night I was wearing a hat for the first time in a long time because it was cold. And I remember taking it off in the house, but I kept reaching up for it because I thought it was there. You know, you can remove your crown and it finds a way to still be there, doesn't it? You know, I don't know. It's the idea of I just need to take it off and let him rule. Let him have his way. What does he need? What, where, in what area of my life have I been holding back? And I need to go, you know what? The crown needs to come off here and let him rule. Because the greatest find in the world is finding this king. You have a card in your bulletin and it's a simple card uh, that helps you um, maybe make a decision today, encourage you to make a decision, write it down. Maybe you have a prayer request. You'd like someone to be prayed for. Maybe you need prayers. Help me find the King. I just ask you to take, we're going to take some time as we sing a song, let you fill them cards out. Then we're going to sing another song and take all those cards back up along with our, our weekly contribution. If you're a guest here, I want you to remind you, you do not have to give to this church. We didn't, we're, not, we're not trying to get something from you. We want to give something to you today. And may God bless you during this Christmas season to find the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for this, for this uh, thought-provocative lesson, Father. It really make to make us think about where do our ambitions lie, Father? And where, where is pride robbing us and blinding us of seeing Your Son Jesus and His will for our life. Lord, I pray that, that we'll also uh, help us be a people, not only that look at our ambitions, but also, Father, to look at what our intentions are. How do we treat You? Are you do we treat You like the King You are? Or do we treat You as something less? So, Father, help us, help us uh, make those adjustments. Approach, approach your throne without, without our crown and serve you, Lord. Help us be sensitive to that during this Christmas season. Father, I know that we're going to be bumping into people that you want us to invite to our, to our service, but you also may want us to invite into our home or just listen to. Father, help us be your servants. Use us this Christmas to help others. Find your Son. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.